0: I do think venture has a bit of this, hey, like we have this club and you want to be part of that and we can help you. We, for us specifically, because we invest such early stage, that is relatively unique. There's fewer venture firms, especially of our size that does that. Um, There are fewer venture firms that have the platform capabilities, including, including recruiting and customer intros, at that stage
1: good morning good afternoon or good evening depending on where you're listening welcome back to ai and the future of work thanks again for making this one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work if you enjoy what we do please like share, and comment in your favorite podcast app. And we'll keep sharing amazing conversations like the one we have for today. I'm your host, Dan Turchin, CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. I'm also an investor and an advisor to more than 30 AI-first companies and, as you know, a firm believer in the power of technology to make humans better. If you're passionate about changing the world with AI or maybe just ready for your next adventure, let's talk. We learn from AI thought leaders weekly on the show. And of course the added bonus is you get one AI fun fact each week, Two days fun fact. We've had great guests like Dr. Shiv Rao from Abridge recently talking about the benefits of transcribing doctor-patient conversations. Well, this week we learned from The Guardian that the Australian Medical Association warned doctors not to use ChatGPT to write medical records. The AMA says patient data must be protected and appropriate ethical oversight is needed to ensure the system doesn't lead to greater health inequalities. Now, it's important to always consider both sides of every AI ethical debate. It's likely these regulations will first be enforced outside the U.S., like here in Australia, but will obviously be paying close attention as more of these regulations become globalized. As always, we will link to the full article in today's show notes. But now, shifting to this week's conversation, today's guest is a general partner at Foundation Capital, one of the most iconic venture capital firms in the world. Foundation has founded and funded companies that include Netflix, Solana, Jasper, and gosh, the list goes on. Joanne's amazing colleague Ashu Garg was a guest early on. I believe it was 2021, and uh, so I've really been excited to having Joanne on the podcast as well. She began her career investing at Foundation in, 20, 000, in uh, 2014 and has sourced and advised an incredible group of companies that include Tonkin, Tubi, and Captivate IQ, just to name a few. Joanne received her BS in EE and CS from Cal and her MBA from the University of Chicago. She's also a popular TEDx speaker. Today we will get a masterclass on how the best are adapting to what I'll call one of the most challenging venture investing climates we've seen in decades. Joanne and I met on a panel not too long ago about generative AI and, and, and related topics. And gosh, I've really been looking forward to our discussion here so that you can get to know her as well. Without further ado, Joanne, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Let's get started by having you share maybe a bit more about uh, your background and how you got into the space.
0: Dan, thank you so much for having me. Uh, super excited to be here and to chat everything AI and non-AI. Um, but a, a bit about my background and how I got into the space. Um, like you mentioned, I joined Foundation in 2014 to invest in applications of machine learning, I am still investing in applications of machine learning. So that hasn't really changed. Um, my The reason why that has been really interesting um, is actually back to uh, quite a long time ago, my father actually got his PhD in optimization when uh, during one of the AI winters when it was not a very fun topic that people cared about or, or really talked about. And since then, the technology has gone through multiple summers and winters, uh, you know, in both lab settings and research settings, as well as commercially starting in the early 2000s. Uh, So I've kind of seen the evolution of AI and have been really fascinated by its potential. I think that oftentimes we underestimate the impact in the longer term, even though there is a lot of, you know, talk and hype in the near term. Um, and so far, my um, time at foundation has been spent figuring out what is real, what is not, and where we think the world uh,
1: might become. I asked the shoe a similar question a while back when he was on the podcast, and I'm curious to get your perspective. What's one thing that uh, you know as a seasoned venture investor that would be surprising to learn from the perspective of an entrepreneur?
0: surprising to learn from the perspective of an entrepreneur. Um, I, I think there's today there's a lot of marketing around AI and how you know venture investors are investing there. At least for us, this has been a continuation of a, a long like a long um, term interest. We've seen multiple shifts in the ecosystem starting with you know, kind of classical machine learning. Which was mostly um, used by ad tech companies because you know ad tech companies had a lot of data and had a lot of um, uh, money to spend on building models. Models were super expensive. To later on, um, you know, AI capabilities shifting to deep learning, computer vision, some natural language processing, and then most recently, into generative AI. So for us, the interest has been kind of very long standing, even though I think there's a lot of Silicon Valley, you know, VCs that are marketing its interest in AI. So I think that's one thing. And the second is um, surprising, maybe about foundation. We are very much focused on the seed stage, oftentimes pre revenues pre-product, um, and I think that's more unusual for um, for for most venture firms. Most venture firms want to see some data, uh, some 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 customers, some. You know, some metrics about a business, um, but we really care about and we really like investing when there's very little.
1: The current euphoria surrounding generative AI is that from a technology perspective? Is it just another platform shift like when we went from on prem to cloud? Or is there something fundally, fundamentally different this time around?
0: Personally, I think from a technology standpoint, it's just another platform shift um, similar to previous platform shifts like. When um, deep learning was, was commercially, became commercially viable, we saw some applications of computer vision. We have a number of companies using that in our portfolio, um, uh, like Safelyu, You, which is using uh, cameras to detect falls for seniors, right, using computer vision as one example. Um, today, the capabilities of AI is such that it can generate content or summarize content or generate stuff that sounds human um, but I think from a tech, technology standpoint, there's another platform shift, thanks to the decrease in cost of infrastructure um, and also availability of data and also a new architecture that, you know, uh, that we saw um, come on, um, become available in 2017. Um, what is different though is the public interest and I think the, the influx of AI talent. And the reason why we are seeing this is because people who have, Never been able to use AI or even spell AI can now manipulate AI systems and see how that happens in front of them. And I think that is a mass market, both interest and also appreciation that has never, that we've never seen before. And I think that is really, really different.
1: We're nine months roughly into this global experiment with generative AI. And to your point, I absolutely agree that all of a sudden it's AI is so much more accessible. Uh, we've all but put a human face on AI, um, which I think has really led to a lot of euphoria. But my question for you is nine months in, are we reaching a peak of uh, to trying to avoid Gartner terms, but kind of inflated expectations? Are we going to enter a trough of disillusionment because the expectations? are so much vastly greater. Once you've seen generative AI systems do all their parlor tricks, and you're forced with, you, you know, you're, you, you're given the invoice, <laughs> you, you realize how expensive it is to do more than parlor tricks. Um, are we setting ourselves up globally for a period where we're disappointed and the technology and the use cases have to grow into the inflated expectations?
0: Yeah, I think some, some of this, happens every single time, right? The demo looks great. And then when you start to implement it in real world situations with a lot of data, a lot of security challenges, um, then the reality becomes a little bit harder to implement. Um, And that's been true for every single kind of platform shift that we've seen. So I do expect a little bit of that. However, what is possibly different uh, this time is that the cost of some of these some of the utility the cost and utilities in these models have gone down from a cost perspective and you know very high from a model utility standpoint that startups are able to use it right out of the box right and that's relatively new which means a lot of newer entrants can come in which which means that I think there's gonna be a lot more rapid development. And if you contrast that to before other platform shifts in AI, it's been still a very, very costly experiment for everyone involved. So I think what I would expect this time around is more iteration, more new ideas and applications and infrastructure in a much shorter period of time. And whenever you have that happen, um, we should expect to see native AI applications or native AI infrastructure that is here um, to
1: stay. A lot of the venture community, including entrepreneurs, are still licking their wounds from Web3 and crypto and the phenomenal disappointment that that was. Um, Not that, you know, let's not write its epitaph too soon, but it was certainly overhyped. Is that where the similarities end? Or do you see other parallels with what we went through with crypto and Web3 euphoria?
0: The difference, um, so we we also invest in crypto, and I, I think the difference is that crypto as a technology is very nascent, right? It's been in development for, well, like 15 years. And with AI, it's been in development uh, academically and commercially for around 80 years. So we're we're talking about very different types of maturity for, for each of these technologies. From a use case standpoint, the use cases around AI are actually much more obvious. The question is really implementation and adoption and kind of, you know, if you have like a rule-based enterprise for them to go to a predictive technology, it requires a lot of culture shifts. So the the problems to solve to get AI adopted is, you know, in my opinion, much simpler. Whereas I think in Web3, there's still questions around, okay, what are the utility? What are the use cases that make sense, especially given the cost? Now the downsides of a very, very immature technology. So I don't think of those as, kind of equivalent simply because of their where they are in their life cycle. Uh, but from an interest standpoint, we did see a very high influx of talent going into Web3 in the same way that we're seeing very, you know, very um, increased influx of talent going to AI. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot more um, maturity and a lot of applications that come out of this influx of talent on the AI side than the crypto side.
1: This may be a fabricated uh, relationship, but I'll run it by you anyway. I feel like both in some way capture this like populist relationship with technology, whether it's, you know eliminating the middle person, the bank, kind of these decentralized organizations, kind of power to the people, or using technology to make people superhuman. Like they both capture something about the, the human spirit that may make them both somewhere along a continuum. Of just the public's investment in shifting culture and and bringing power back to the people is that is that a false relationship or do you think that maybe we are in in the middle of a continuum that could continue to evolve from here
0: well i I do think with the crypto with the the, the crypto wave if you will uh, a lot of the value propositions exactly what you said which is you know, let's, let's bring power back to people. With AI, um, the power has been largely concentrated with companies and people that study computer science or went to work at Google or, you know, uh, is part of the Stanford AI labs. And it's been very elitist in some ways. And today, I think the one of the reasons why AI has been so widely talked about is because now the power is, is more democratized. And every single person, whether you study computer science and code at Google or not, you could use it, right? So I do think there's a little bit of that, although the, the value proposition um, may be a little different. It's, you know, one is around decentralization of power. And this one is, you know, enabling capabilities to give everyone, you know, the capabilities of, of building your own applications. Um, both things are great. I think both things are great. Crypto was just much more, theoretical, whereas like AI is very, very much commercial.
1: Yeah, it's hard to not have the conversation about new generative AI-based technologies without talking about what it means to deploy them responsibly. So you're seeing as broad a swath of AI technologies as anyone. I'm just curious if you feel like the entrepreneurial community is in embracing, you know, what it means, what, what the potential downside of some of these technologies are. Because as a community, um, I've said this before, we're great at answering the question, what could go right? And we're terrible at answering the question, what could go wrong? How much does that factor into your uh, investment thesis?
0: I mean, to be, to be honest, um, at the entrepreneur level, especially because we're investing so early, the questions that are top of mind are, is this a real product? Are we going to survive? Are we going to raise you know, our Series A after the seed round? It's not about using AI responsibly. I don't think that's even, you know, top 10 <laughs> in terms of the questions, um, nor do I think it, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure that's going to move the meter at that stage um, because of all the survival challenges of a very early stage startup. Now, from an investor standpoint, we do think about it and we think about, you know, with any kind of tool and technology, there's always... The good and the bad with autonomous vehicles. It's going to have a lot of positives, but it's probably going to also kill people, and that's that's true for for anything that that we create. And so we we think about the downsides of AI from everything from what does that mean from a you know fake news and hacking and phishing attacks and all the people who have malicious intents and what they can do, and then the way that we counter that is to invest in entrepreneurs who care about that problem and want to build software and create solutions to counteract those problems. So we do have a fairly large cybersecurity effort. um, And we do have, you know, internal discussions every other week to, to talk about, hey, like, what are some of the capabilities now that hackers have because of this new technologies and what we can do to invest to counteract some of that, so it's an opportunity for um, for both us and also companies to try to try to solve. But I, I hear you. I think personally, I am very interested in in what this brings. I do think some of the fears are possibly heightened, um, both from a timing standpoint and also magnitude standpoint. Um, but it is a a good set of conversations to have and for us to be able to address um, you know
1: some of these fears proactively' I'm talking to a lot of entrepreneurs who are uh, maybe even as they listen to this writing and rewriting their business plans for AI first companies you're on the ground floor you're getting inundated with all manner of pitches um, what's your advice to entrepreneurs who uh, would love to get a meeting with Joanne
0: you know I, I think this is maybe go, goes back to something um, the entrepreneurs maybe don't understand about venture investors is regardless of the technology, uh, there is a lot of work and a lot of hours spent on what is the problem? What is the solution? You use AI or not, or some other technology, that's totally fine. But are you solving something that's worth solving? And are you offering a product that's 5x better or 10x better than the alternative? I think that's one big bucket of Problem or questions that we we try to answer. The other is is the team or the or the person uniquely suited to solve these problems. Entrepreneurs tend to spend less time on that, especially at the very very early stage. So to give you an example, we see so many pitches with the same thesis, right? Especially today, you know, you take documents from companies and you use documents to create this knowledge graph where there's a search capability and that's going to benefit your sales teams or marketing team or customer support team or whatever team, right? Because you can now have a natural language conversation to, you know, acquire knowledge that you didn't have before about some kind of function. We see this pitch many, 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 many many times. Um, And the data asset that you start with is oftentimes similar. Um, So, In this very crowded pitching ecosystem, how does someone stand out? I think the way to do it is to talk about why the team is uniquely suited to have a business that grows faster than everyone else, or that has more stickiness, or that is um, more sustainable. Um, And I think that differentiation is light in today's, you know, LLM first swath of companies even though some of the problems might be, might be obvious. What I don't hear very often is unique insights, to be honest. Uh, And maybe that's just a function of where we are from a adoption standpoint, but I, it's, it's very, very rare for us to hear a different approach.
1: Speaking of unique insights, uh, given the hundreds or who knows, maybe thousands of pitches you've seen over the years, open the time capsule. Tell us about one that stands out in your mind, whether or not you funded them, but just that was outrageous. Something where you were like, you know, a decade later, you're like, I'm telling my kids and my grandkids about this because I can't believe I just heard this pitch.
0: You know, I in the latest set of pitches, I don't think we've heard anything that unique. <laughs> and that's totally fine. I think that's totally fine. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be. If I take like a much longer historical context, I mean, we've heard, you know, we've heard things where it's everything from like longevity and, you know, how do you prolong life to how do you train your cat uh, with computer vision to, you know, the first the first Web3 pitches were probably fairly unique. Um, how do you take, you know, some of these research papers into commercialization? Those were pretty unique. But nothing where it, it's like, oh, I think that's completely unfeasible, right? The question is like, you know, does this is team, can this team pull this off? And this yeah,
1: Cat training with machine vision is pretty out there.
0: That cat training with machine vision? Yeah, I think the thesis there was just that cats require, require more patience. They're trainable. And humans just don't have the patience for the repetition. Because dogs require fewer, less repetition. And so a machine is uniquely suited to train your cat.
1: I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'd rather have a robo cat than a <laughs> than a cat trained by machine vision. But hey, that's just me. <laughs> hey, so before we started taping, we were discussing kind of the uh, the anti portfolio. We picked one that uh, you know we talked about um, anti portfolio being the one that got away. Share a story about a pitch that you evaluated and you confidently said no, and then maybe you know they went on to. Uh, just prove your thesis.
0: Oh, I mean that happens all the time, all the time. Where we are predict, we predict what might happen, and we our predictions are oftentimes wrong. About people, about markets, about timing. It's it happens every single day, um, and I think that's okay uh, because you know what may have happened in the past may not happen again in the future. The type of founders that come out of organizations and backgrounds change, right? You you used to see much less set of diversity with founder profiles 20 years ago than you do today. And because of that, I think, you know, VCs just have to keep on reminding you know ourselves that to keep an open mind. And, you know, unlike maybe an AI machine where you're taking historical data and trying to find Other examples that look like that, you've just got to realize that there's going to be a lot of of companies that that look very different, a lot of people that look very different. I think that's what makes this job really fun.
1: I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't appreciate the hustle that goes into being a successful VC. And there are many parallels with what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. Uh, Your product is your capital and your network. Given the amazing success that you personally have had finding and cultivating entrepreneurs, share a few secrets. What what is Joanne's process for for uh, for winning over entrepreneurs and competitive deals?
0: I mean, we're we're a sales and marketing organization with some customer support. <laughs> that's that's what we do, and then we we each venture investor kind of runs all of these functions themselves right? Like sales, because we're meeting tons of people marketing because we write content and we have conversations and we do like a, um, we try to have an inbound strategy to some extent and then customer support, because we try to do whatever we can for our companies and our founders. So we, we kind of think of ourselves as just a small business owner that has these functions to run. And we try to do as good of a job as we can, you know, kind of running those functions in terms of winning. I do think venture has a bit of this, hey, like we have this club and you want to be part of that and we can help you. We, for us specifically, because we invest such early stage, that is relatively unique. There's fewer venture firms, especially of our size that does that. Um, There are fewer venture firms that have the platform capabilities, including, including recruiting and customer intros at that stage. Right. There are lots of firms that do it at the Series A and Series B and Series C, but very few at the pre-revenue, pre-product stage. And I think because of that, we are also able to uh, form relationships way before a company is officially uh, incorporated, right? Many of our entrepreneurs we meet when they're still at at their last company, or they're still brainstorming or trying to find a co-founder or something like that. And I think that's, that's great because it gives us kind of an advantage in winning deals. Oftentimes we don't win deals. We're not trying to compete when there is like a baked pitch deck and, you know, there's a bake off and there's like a, you know, conversation like that. Oftentimes we are having conversations way before those those things happen.
1: So Joanne, I got to get you off the hot seat. We're about out of time, but uh, you're not leaving without answering one last question for me. So you just talked about kind of the humanness of, VC, which I think is not well understood, and I, I, you know, I love that uh, that comment. You're a sales and marketing organization with some customer support, Um, (laughs) but I got to ask the flip side. Here we are talking a lot about uh, artificial intelligence. Is there ever a time when there's a a digital version of Joanne that could do your work just as effectively?
0: Oh, absolutely. So there's lots of pieces of sales and marketing and support that we can automate. For example. Lead generation on the sales side, right? Like we can have you know bots, or we can have um, uh, AI tools that help us identify who to go reach out to. As one example, we can have um, correspondence that's drafted automatically. In fact, one of the reasons why I initially invested in Jasper is because I was using it before it was called Jasper to write follow-up emails. <laughs> Um, and also emails where I'm turning entrepreneurs down, which is not not something I enjoy doing, uh, but it's you know something that we must do. Um, so certainly we look at pieces of our workflow and think about what are the tools we can use to make it more seamless, make it better. Um, the people side is always hard to automate, right? Like it's never the same having coffee with a robot than it is having coffee with a person where you're sharing, you know, your aspirations and who you are. Unless
1: perhaps the entrepreneur is also a robot.
0: Uh, Unless the entrepreneur is also a robot. Uh, And I think in this business, at the end of the day, because it's a decade-long relationship, oftentimes, that the match and the chemistry matters. It's, you know, longer than a lot of people's marriages. And I don't think that's replaceable. I, I think venture will be here to stay for a long time. You're also an investor, Dan. What do, you, what do you think?
1: As you said, the relationships take so long to cultivate that I'm not ready to take the leap of faith to say that within the next decade, at least, the, the process, the passion, the enthusiasm for the, the business and the connection with the, with the entrepreneur or the team or the idea. As an AI enthusiast, but firmly a member of Team Human, um, I, hope that, I hope that that doesn't go away. Anytime soon, I I frequently say anything that can be predicted is better left to machines, but anything that requires empathy or rational thinking is better left to humans. And I feel like everything that's in the domain of uh, not it's not just writing the check, it's it's genuinely being you know passionate about building something transcendent together. I, I just I, I don't believe that that innately human function can ever be outsourced to a machine.
0: That's well said.
1: Hey, Joanne, this has been so much fun. Thank you for hanging out.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: To our audience, if you haven't yet, go, uh, go YouTube Joanne and listen to her TEDx talk. There you go, Joanne. You get some more downloads. There we go. I know how hard you <laughs> work. <for> the views. <laughs> I know how hard you work to pre- prepare for that one. Uh, well, good stuff. Uh, that's all the time we have for this week on AI and the uh, future of work. As always, I'm your host, Dan Turchin from PeopleRain. And of course, we're back next week with another fascinating guest.